Welcome to the Shift Happens podcast, where we explore the latest trends and insights in the digital workplace. From the role of AI in the workplace to the future of remote work, we cover it all. Tune in as we chat with industry leaders and experts. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started in the digital landscape, we've got you covered. Subscribe to Shift Happens wherever you listen to podcasts and stay ahead of the curve. Shift Happens Podcast. Welcome to Shift Happens Podcast. In today's episode, we're thrilled to have with us Stephanie Hung, an accomplished technologist and business leader with decades of experience in the public and private sectors. We'll chat about the key pillars for modernizing the digital workplace and why a people-first approach is so critical for success. Let's get to it. So Stephanie, you have a wide array of experience through different organizations from private to public sector, and we are seeing a lot of changes in evolution in the digital workplace. So for our conversation today, we really want to zoom in on the pillars of modernizing the digital workplace. And to set the stage, why don't you share a brief history of your background and your current role today at the Asian Development Bank? Uh, thanks, Dax. I have been in the technology sector for the last uh, 30 over years. And with my early days with uh, IBM, Hewlett Packard, Microsoft, ST Engineering, uh, which serve different uh, industry sector, you know, from A to Z, you know, uh, airline, airport to finance and banking to manufacturing and, uh, you know, distributions and uh, travel industry. So from my perspective, uh, you know, my role um, in Asia Development Bank um, is a, a very exciting time um, for me as a, a um, technologist, at the same time, a business leader, um, because we believe that digital technology will create a large impact. And for what we have seen in COVID, uh, it actually it is the compelling uh, trigger to drive uh, many organizations to adopt uh, you know, cloud computing, mobile application. And that is the only reason why many organizations can survive and thrive uh, in the pandemic because they actually went to digital. So for me, in current role as um, Asia Development Bank, we are actually helping a lot of uh, the developing country to actually drive uh, social and economic development. And for that, I see a great opportunity for us to leveraging on cloud computing, mobile computing, to leapfrog many of uh, those uh, poor and smaller state of a uh, developing country. So this is actually a very good time for us to actually accelerate, um, you know, the scale, the scope and the speed uh, in this, uh, you know, transformations. That's fantastic, Stephanie. It's very interesting to see when you think about the impact technology can have on emerging markets. We often talk a lot about relationships between enabling technologies and also mobilizing cultures or individuals for change. Maybe in your experience or in your view, would you mind talking to us a little bit about how you see change first affecting culture as individuals think about driving and moving forward through a digital initiative or an entire digital transformation project? It is all about uh, changing the mindset. We talk a lot on, uh, you know, changes. Um, it requires individuals to 
uh, first be aware uh, you know what are the trends and what are the things that are happening around us second it is really to internally uh, accept that these changes is inevitable and we all uh, thrive in uh, you know so-called the embracing change so we have to accept that change is happening and then once you have the internalizations then you will want to learn about how you can actually um, accelerate uh, this change so it is really about mindset change and with the mindset change you can actually change the culture yes i like that a lot awareness acceptance and acceleration you know, typically the ability for an organization to adopt or use a new technology or embrace a new technology it really you know things start with accepting the fact that there will be new benefits that technology may deliver as you think or as we think about the pillars of modernization or culture it would probably be interesting for our listeners to understand how you think about the organization going through that acceleration while at the same time maintaining agility. And it would be great if you can expand on how agility could also be harnessed. We need to perform N, A-N-D, N, the power of N. Uh, meaning is that we have to perform our day-to-day operations, you know, keep the lights on. At the same time, we need to transform. And transform meaning is that learning about new technology, learning about new capabilities, and at the same time, uh, transform the organizations uh, in an agile manner. So we did embrace uh, you know, what we call the um, agile approach, meaning is that we can start with a smaller um, you know, sprint, and then we can uh, iterate multiple times and learn from each of the sprint uh, what works, what doesn't work. And then from there, we can then actually scale it up into multiple sprints. This is really fascinating, Stephanie, considering that you work with a lot of different types of organization in different emerging markets. So with this somewhat standardized approach, are the the different constituents you work with are along the same lines or the maturity is a little different? And if they're different, how do you still ensure that people are working together effectively, especially with digital technologies? I think you really have to look at the context. Um, context uh, makes a lot of the difference. The environment that um, each of the organization or each of the country they operate are very different. Um, some they may even struggling with uh, connectivity. And when we talk about technology, if you have not even enabled the connectivity, they can't even have uh, access uh, to the internet or access to the technology. So um, we have to really looking at the context, where they are, uh, what would they need if it is uh, connectivity then we have to figure out how do we actually provide connectivity even at the most uh, remote island or remote uh, you know, uh, mountain area. Um, perhaps uh, you know, satellite is actually uh, one of the solutions that we are looking at. Um, so once you provide the connectivity, then the next thing is how do you make it um, affordable uh, for the access of the technologies? So affordability and access to technology will actually improve uh, quite significantly from my perspective of uh, bridging the digital divide. Once you have that, I think the magic will happen because uh, if you are talking about uh, remote learning, we have worked with uh, some of the NGO. They actually provide a bite-sized learning to the most uh, remote villages that you can find in 
Indonesia, right? So that is possible when you actually solve the connectivity problem, affordability and accessibility problem. So then when you're looking at some of the more developed stage, uh, then I think the digital infrastructure become the crucial uh, aspect of some of the transformation, especially for the economy to take uh, off. So uh, we have seen that, you know, through COVID, digital infrastructures uh, such as, uh, you know, identification, even, you know, you can pay, uh, you know, some of your relative uh, in, uh, you know, in some of the developing country. So I think that is uh, important for uh, economy to anchor on some of this uh, digital public infrastructure where you can enable um, e-payment and e-commerce transactions. So let's say once this connectivity is there, the infrastructure is there, do you still see a gap in learning or it doesn't exist? So for example, so let's say we have a developing emerging market in Southeast Asia compared to other parts of Asia Pacific like Singapore. Do you see the adoption of the cloud, especially with uh, work technologies like Google Work Workplace or Microsoft 365? The, the gap is, the divide is not as as huge. Hello, Shift Happens podcast listeners. I have an exciting offer for you. Join us for our in-person Shift Happens conference, October 10 to 11 in Washington, D.C. Registration is free. That's right, it's free. And you walk away with actionable strategies from industry leaders and peers to make Shift happen in your digital workplace. Visit shifthappens.to to register today. We'll see you there. Uh, well, that one, I will have to say that if you give any young people, uh, the youth, any uh, new tools, they will master it. Whether you are in the developing country or developed country, uh, the young people, they just have this, uh, you know, um, interest, you know, to learn about new tools as long as it gets them excited, right? I think the hardest is actually more of the silver age because, uh, Many of them, you know, um, they will say that, oh, I'm too old to learn. They may not want to uh, learn about new capabilities. So I think that is uh, something that we need to figure out how to actually get uh, everybody, uh, no one left behind to actually adopt this uh, digital capability. And, and this goes back to your point around the mindset, right? So it's clear that no matter if you provide the tools and the technology, but in the end, it comes to people and the mindset Yes, correct. One thing I also wanted to have you expand on is I heard you often talk about this idea of connect, communicate, and co-create when it comes to making that change happen. Would you share with us, or in your view, how you think about these three components as important for these transformation initiatives? Yeah, I think uh, in the modern workplace, oftentimes, you know, um, we thrive on, you know, good communications uh, skill set. At the same time, with uh, this new age, I think co-creations uh, uh, matter. Um, as uh, we uh, learn that many times, uh, you know, other colleagues have a different kind of idea. How do you actually uh, put them uh, together uh, to actually create a new uh, solution? To me, that is really about um, connecting the dots. Uh, you know, so that they can actually appreciate a different perspective of, uh, you know, the problem. Um, and then 
they can then co-create for a solution. So in the digital um, space or digital age, communications, uh, you know, connecting the docs and co-creating are actually very important. Right. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot more openness for different vendors to work together to do more co-creation in order to achieve that type of synergy and success? Oh, yeah. Uh, all these uh, ecosystem partner as my force uh, multiplier. Yeah, force multiplier for sure. So uh, we ourselves, uh, you know, have uh, limited um, resources. Um, we have, uh, you know, limited bandwidth uh, as an individual or as a, a organization. When we can then partner uh, in the ecosystem and have common purpose, uh, what we wanted to achieve you suddenly have a force multiplier with the partner organization and partner resources. So I oftentimes is that we need to build the communities of, uh, you know, and plan, then we can actually uh, become the force uh, multiplier. Stephanie, when you think about your experiences at Microsoft or at IBM and Hewlett Packard, have some of those strategies been able to translate over into the work you're doing today? Or do you find that because you're perhaps looking for more partnerships to contribute to the resources and to the resource pool, that it's a bit different? I believe, uh, you know, all my past experience had uh, helped me um, shape a lot on, you know, the approaches to um, what I call the human-centric, uh, you know, um, experience. Um, whether you are talking to your clients and partner, at the end of the day, I think you have to put their interests at heart. And then uh, from there, you build the trust. With the kind of a trust, you will be able to actually do a lot of uh, marvelous things together. So um, very important is that number one is really put uh, clients, uh, you know, at the at first and uh, understanding from their perspective, you know, what they actually want to achieve that we can actually, um, you know, uh, achieve. And with the alignment, then you can actually building the experience. And with that experience, you have the trust. Yeah, with this, with this human-centric approach, right, this has been an age-old, I would say, struggle, frankly, for some organizations where the typical scenario would be, oh, IT is rolling out a new technology, and then it's my way or the highway, and then there's no adoption, uh, employees not liking it because you give me another tool again. I'm so busy. What advice would you offer in your vast experience to have that human-centric approach where the key stakeholders, be it the leaders, IT, really the, the employees in general, be able to harness and maximize the technology that's there from a lens of making sure that we're meeting people where they are? Yeah, I think um, if you look back, um, we have been actually um, talking about uh, user experience from the moment, you know, the GUI started, right? Uh, it actually provided a very nice uh, graphic user interface that actually people uh, like to use it uh, instead of, uh, you know, the uh, text and green terminal, right, that you used to have on the mainframe. And with that, I think we all um, harness uh, the skill set in terms of how we design uh, the user experience so that it is intuitively for them to use the tools. So, uh, you know, that quite a lot of the project that I have done is really what we call the design by the user for the user. And the interesting is that when the tool, you know, make it available, the user will actually um, came to me and say that, 
hey, look, I know how to use this button and that button and that button because I designed it. So I know how to use it. Uh, I don't think I need that kind of, uh, you know, uh, two weeks training. I think I can use it and play with it. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So it looks like we talked a little bit about innovation talent and how that talent really starts to develop and learn through the mindset. What about leadership? What role do you think leadership plays in driving forward these initiatives and ensuring that the transformation is occurring? Leadership is uh, very important because they are the champion of uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, meaning is that a leader needs to be courageous enough to uh, learn that uh, each of the team members are different and they contribute differently and they will have a different opinion from you. So therefore, as a leader, how do we actually champion you know the inclusion in the aspect of it to um able encourage to have um, all the people to say uh you know their perspective and and then you can help them to actually um come to agreement on what to move forward as a team so i think that is the first thing second thing i think leader is also required to be a role model if you wanted to actually help the team to change their mindset to be more of a, a continuous learner, then as a leader, you also need to actually demonstrate that you are also picking up new skill set uh, you know, every year and you encourage your staff to be able to do so, right? So that is a second piece on being a role model for uh, continuous learning. And then the last one, I think um, this is actually to me uh, very important is uh, you have to actually become the trust force multiplier. You actually help the team to also build trust with other uh, you know, uh, stakeholders so that we actually collectively, we have a common confidence and trust in each other that we can deliver. So I think that is a three quality of a leader that you need to be able to exhibit. So Stephanie, I'm just curious, what's the most recent thing you've learned as a leader? Oh, wow. It's uh, AI, ethics, and uh, governance. Uh, I, uh, I completed, uh, you know, the NUS, uh, on, uh, you know, five module on uh, AI, ethics, and governance, body of knowledge, data processing, you know, and all this other stuff last year. And, uh, and what it actually helped me um, position well in the sense is that uh, we anticipate that, you know, the emerging of AI would be very important. At the same time as a technologist, uh, we know, you know that even when we're doing data collection, there might be biases. Uh, you know, whatever biases that you collect from the data, uh, potentially it can become biases uh, machine learning algorithm. And therefore, whatever recommendation could be biases. So from the very start, we already say that, okay, how do we actually um, you know, uh, establish a set of a principle where we can actually make sure that, you know, our uh, AI or machine learning algorithm is designed for uh, fairness and uh, inclusiveness. Um, how do we actually enable that it is, uh, you know, um, privacy uh, are protected and the security are uh, enforced? Um, how can we make sure that it is uh, safe and reliable to use? And how do we make sure that there is uh, accountability and transparency? And then the last one, it is really about 
how do we ensure that the recommendation is happening on the uh, GPT, you know, 4.0? Uh, now, uh, you know, I can really fully use all the knowledge that I have, uh, you know, learned last year to then apply to what is happening at work. So, yeah, I think that is uh, one of the biggest uh, return that I have uh, invested myself. <laughs> That's good. Well, listen, as you said before, right, you have to lead by example and pushing you through this journey of learning and continuing to expand and see how many have spoken about the consequences of not having the guidelines in place. And of course, there's the other side, which is the desire to monetize these capabilities. And so I guess as you think about it in your own capacity, how do you maintain balance between those two? On the one side, there's opportunity to perhaps monetize it or improve while the consequence of regulation not being ready with the right standards or privacy protection and all of the other capabilities required to make sure it's ethical or ethically employed. Well, how do you think about that? Uh, very well said, uh, Mario. You frame it quite well in the sense is that uh, AI is uh, a tools. Um, at the same time, I think uh, for us as a technologist, I'm always looking at the positive uh, especially for me, I'm a, you know a optimist. So I always believe that when you have a tools, uh, you can actually make best use of the tools. So that is uh, on one hand. Um, on the other hand, uh, we also know that it can be recognized. So um, you know the deep fake, you know, uh, you know those, uh, you know fake news. Um, with uh, some of these uh, generative AI, uh, it may actually um, you know uh, promote even more social media's uh, misinformation and disinformation. And we have seen that this actually can polarize the society. So from a technology perspective, we definitely want to have uh, coalitions and uh, regulations to safeguard some of these uh, you know, uh, misinformation and disinformation. And therefore, I think um, there are some work that is uh, ongoing. For example, how do we actually provide or uh, you know, the media's, uh, you know, uh, provenance to make sure that, you know, uh, this uh, image, um, you know, with uh, some uh, label to say that this is uh, created by AI or uh, this is uh, actually original source. So, in fact, if you are a photographer, uh, a fan, you know, um, you know, like her, you know, now they actually make sure that all their digital, Im uh, their uh, image is, uh, you know, authenticated, you know, uh, is uh, generated by Leica camera, right? So you know that this is original uh, photo. So I think there's a lot of uh, things that, you know, on that aspect of it, we need to really safeguard the public uh, from misinformation and disinformation. So the media uh, provenance is very important. We need to uh, be able to um, authenticate, you know, and this is uh, from the from the references to the origin source of the media, whether they have a track record of uh, being author. So I think that is uh, one aspect of it. Um, then the next aspect of it, we also know that, uh, you know, the cyber threat actor, they are actually more uh, savvy in using the uh, AI to actually create more malware and, uh, you know, ransomware and, you know, uh, all the different kind of uh, attack techniques. So in that aspect, I think we need to safeguard uh, from the weaponize of uh, AI. So on both ends, I think we then have to look at um, there would be some requirement from the government aspect of it to provide some uh, regulations uh, on, uh, you know, the protections of the public. 
right? Second, I think it is very important as uh, all of us as uh, 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 professionals in the technology sector, uh, we need to adhere to the set of uh, principle and we actually help each other and, uh, you know, uh, building the coalitions and communities, you know, to do the collective, uh, you know, uh, uh, work together. And then that is why the last part, I think, uh, in terms of AI, yes, I think there are worry that, you know, the tech giant would be the beneficiary of, uh, you know, some of these uh, AI and then third, it is really building up the communities of uh, AI practitioner so that we can actually help each other to make sure that, you know, whatever we build uh, are reliable, you know, are safe. And there is a way to actually uh, hold uh, accountabilities uh, in that aspect of it. Stephanie, you, you shared a lot of great tidbits of knowledge and wisdom to our listeners. And we can keep going, but in the interest of time and being respectful of your time, we typically wrap up each of our uh, podcasts with a very clear takeaway on how to deal with all these shifts that's happening, especially around the digital workplace transformation. There's so much changes. So what advice would you offer that's very practical and tactical for some that would help organization to make the shift happen in their digital workplace? Yeah, so digital um, shift f- will first require a mindset shift. This will mean that we have to relook at key element of uh, you know workplace. We understand that there are soft skills that we need to continue to enhance: uh, communication, collaboration, co-creation, and continuous learning. In the digital age, we are human being still, and spontaneous uh, you know social gathering to actually build up the rapport and the trust among us. With that trust, um, in the digital age, we could actually excel uh, in many of the things that we can do in the modern digital workplace. We really appreciate your insights and openness in discussing these important topics, Stephanie. Your thoughts will be valued to many as we look for the recipe to build a strong foundation for workplace transformation. We're fortunate to be living through these times as practitioners, professionals, and recipients of all this great technology innovation. Thank you for joining us today, and I look forward to having you back on a future episode to discuss the good that is coming from the work you're doing. Shift Happens Podcast. Thanks for listening. Digital workplace transformation is evolving rapidly, but it's the people who make it work. In today's episode, Stephanie shared her perspective on why a human-centric approach to digital transformation is key. From mindset shifts and communication to the power of connection and co-creation, This will be more important than ever as we navigate the role AI will play in the digital workplace. At the end of the day, remember, people comes first. If you liked today's episode, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time. Shift Happens Podcast is a production of AppPoint, Inc., produced and edited by the AppPoint brand team. Stay up to date on the latest trends in digital workplace transformation by visiting AppPoint.com.